My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. <laughs> welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you're here with us this morning. I have several folks online. Good morning and welcome to you guys as well. We are in Mark chapter 13 today. I am pumped about that. So hopefully you left last week uh, exceedingly unfulfilled, uh, and my goal for you this week is for you to leave exceedingly unfulfilled, uh, because we are setting up a lot of the stuff that we'll be looking at uh, later into uh, Mark chapter 13. So with that, let's ask our question that we ask each week, uh, and feel free to use any of the questions that you had last week. Uh, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far. I forgot to have to check my Facebook comment. I finally had this set up where I can see the Facebook comments easily. So this is, I just have to remember to look at it. That's the challenge. <laughs> What about it, young sir? I saw that hand. <clears throat> you got to be careful about raising your hand when it's question time, buddy. <laughs> Daryl will call on you to pray, young man. Let me tell you, that's how that works. Um, Julie, like one time, did this in a service, and Daryl was like, and she just started. <laughs> it was good. It was really good. So. All right, so uh, let's take a look at our literary and structural observations. So this is one of those, let's step back, look at where we are as a piece of literature in Mark. So we spent a tremendous amount of time, uh, the first 10-ish chapters in Mark, uh, Jesus healing, teaching, refuting the Pharisees, the scribes. Uh, then we transitioned the scene into the temple, uh, 11, 12, we're in the temple. And now, is there a scene change? And with that much set up, you, the answer's like got to be yes, right? Uh, yes, there is a scene change. So we are exiting the temple, but not far. So we'll talk about a little of the geography as we look at this today as well. Uh, but we are going to move out. And I don't know how many of you guys uh, are into storytelling and movies and uh, story arcs and meta narratives and all these types of things, but uh, most movies have uh, three acts in them. Not like an act in a Shakespearean play, like a there's some problem that's introduced, the problem gets really, really big, and then there's some type of a resolution point, right? the three big acts in a movie. Uh, and Jesus is going to introduce a problem, in the, not in his mind, uh, in the disciples' minds, and then he's going to fester it a little bit more, but the resolution is going to be shockingly, wildly unfulfilling for them uh, because they're not going to fully understand all the details and how everything's going to play out. So 
So as we move through the Gospel of Mark, and I've joked about this a couple of times, we're basically going through Mark about as fast as the disciples went through Mark. Um, as we go through Mark, uh, it's okay for us to experience some of that. Wait, what did he, like what was, what? So just, just be aware of some of that, all right? Remember the live bird. We're going to hold this like we would hold a live bird, not that we would strangle it and not that we would let it fly away. So uh, let's read Mark chapter 13. <clears throat> and we will start here in a minute with looking at verse 1. So Mark chapter 13. And as he came out of the temple, scene change, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be here left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all the things are about to be accomplished. And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see that these things are taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. 
But concerning that day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he suddenly come and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Mark chapter 13. So let's take a look at verse 1. If you've got your handout, this is page 422. So verse 1, And as he came out of the temple, he... Who's he here, Ike? Jesus, that's exactly right. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him... So. Are the disciples with him here when he comes out of the temple? Yes. All right. Why are the disciples with him when he leaves the temple? Because they're his disciples, yes. And disciples mean you follow really close the rabbi, right? There's this old phrase, may, your, uh, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi, that you be so close walking with him that you are covered in the dust that he's kicking up, right? So they're with him. So as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, so who said to him? Was the person's name? We don't know. So do we need to know? Nope. Did, did any of you in your reading last week, you're like, who is that? Did that cross any of your minds? This is the kind of stuff that, I hate this, it, it does, it bugs me about Mark. Luke would have been, it was this person and this was his genealogy, right? Just here's all the detail. That, and this is the color shirt he had on that week, Z. I'm like, this is, we're going to get all of it. Mark's like, there was somebody, right? There was one of them. Oh, yes, rabbis would travel uh, from synagogue to synagogue. Uh, there were, you would typically, if the city was big enough, you might have a, like a permanent rabbi, but a lot of small cities would just have like, visiting rabbis. Uh, we, we would think about them, you know, 100, 200 years ago in American history as itinerant preachers, right? You just travel, well, we have in church Sunday, we're going to get together and sing, and we're going to read the Bible, but there's not going to be a sermon because the preacher ain't here this week. Right? He'll, when's he coming? Ah, maybe next week, maybe the week after. Whenever he shows up on horseback, right? And it, it wouldn't have been exactly like that, but I'd say a strong head nod that direction. So, yes. I love having a live group in the room. Thank you so much for being here today. Sorry. I just couldn't. It was boiling up in me. Yes. Yep. That's right. Did you have one as a, when you were, oh, you did, that's awesome, cool. You had a circuit preacher when you were young. I, I honestly didn't know that was still a thing. I thought you, like, we had to check that box now. Good to know, cool. Yes? Right. Yes, say, say that really loud for me, Mitch. Yes, there were rules around this? <laughs> yes, there were rules around everything you can possibly imagine in first century Judean life, you had to have at least 10 men, right? Here, however, were there at least 10 men present? 
Yes, is this a synagogue? No, it's not a synagogue. It's a rabbi traveling with his disciples. Two totally different things, okay? So back to the text. So one of his disciples said to him, look, an imperative, look, a little brash, a little brash, right? You're telling the Son of God to do something. Look, teacher, is that a good title for Jesus? Yeah, was he? Yeah. Did he ever, did he ever refute somebody for calling him teacher? He came close when somebody said, good teacher, right? Why do you call me good? Because he's trying to get to like, oh, like you are hinting around that there might be some theological, you're in the vicinity, horseshoes and hand grenades here. So look, teacher, I'm on page 423, what, uh, I have a, I am not a fan of doing this in an actual copy of the Bible, but I do this kind of thing in my notes periodically. I have a very small X above the word wonderful before stones and a very small X before the word wonderful in buildings. Those words actually aren't there in the original language. The, a literal translation, like a very uh, an interlinear type translation would be, look, teacher, what stones and buildings. Which, if you don't have some type of adjective there, seems like, well, yes, two-year-old, there are stones and buildings, <laughs> right? But the, the sense here is like, wow, there's a there's this sense of awe. So... Uh, ESV and, and many other translations will add some words to help us kind of fill in the gaps here. So what stones and buildings. So do stones show up anywhere in the gospel? Seriously. Yes, there's a big one at the end of the story. Are, do stones show up anywhere else in the gospel? Yes, right? Is, is there a name that pops up in your head? Cornerstone, is there a name, though, like a person's name? Stephen, is that in the Gospels? No, not in the Gospels. What about the Gospels? Peter, Peter yes. The little rock, right? Yeah, so there's, there's, there's some, some uh, references here in and around. Uh, if you look at, uh, just like turn one page over in your Bible. Um, but we are coming back here, Daniel. So verse, uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 10, have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. So who is Jesus saying that to? Who is Jesus saying verses uh, chapter 12, verse uh, 10 and 11 to? Who's the audience? Were you there? No. So what wasn't us then, was it? But we can learn from it, right? We can learn from it. So, so no and yes. I'll give you that as an answer, all right? Chief priests and the scribes in the temple, right? Who else was there? Say it louder. The disciples were there. Jesus has just hours before talked about the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone later that day or the next day, look, teacher, stones and buildings. Does this question imply they understood what Jesus was talking about? If they are enamored with the physical, no, not at all, right? There's a reason Mark sequences these things this way. I've just talked about that the cornerstone, which should have made them go, the cornerstone? Ooh. That seems really important. Let's ask more questions. Nope, nope, nope. Oh, pretty buildings. 
right? All right, so uh, the Landers have just returned from a whirlwind tour of the United States. Welcome back. I'm glad you're back. Uh, several years ago, we took our family to one of the places that you guys went to, which, shocker, was not a campsite. <laughs> All right? Um, <laughs> walking from the parking lot to this building is about as much outside time as I want. So, like, that's, I have checked that box for today. Uh, we took our family to Washington, D.C., and my kids had never been. I, I don't think, she'll comment here in a second. Tell me if you've been before, Jules. Um, uh, but I had been to Washington, D.C., I don't know, four or five times before, and you, you go multiple times, you're like, oh, I don't remember seeing that before. It's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the first time that you go, there's a couple things you're really enamored with. And one of them is the building, um, the building materials. And in, in my mind, if, if I was the building planner and I was in charge of architectural design at, in Washington, D.C., I feel like one of their philosophies was, what should we make this? Marble! We should make it out of marble! Like, just absolutely, we got so much marble, it's ridiculous. It's everywhere. It's so ubiquitous that you almost begin to look past it at some point because there's just so much of it. But in first century Judea, every building did not look like what they just left. So let's pull up a map here for just a second. I know I'm a little bit ahead here, Dave. I want to show you uh, where they were. So uh, this is uh, Jerusalem. And there had been a, a massive wall all the way around. Hashtag Nehemiah, right? Uh, it wasn't about a building project in a church. It was about physically constructing the walls back so that you could have some defense, right? So they're, they're, they come out of the city, and they go to the Mount of Olives, which is on this side. So we're going to get there in verse 3. So they're on Mount Olives. They're headed toward this way, and they're looking back at the city. What would they have seen? The temple, the high point, the gleaming structure, the impressive, most unbelievable piece of architecture any of them had ever seen in their entire lives. It's actually not a horrible statement. Stones and buildings. Yeah, it was a big deal. Like, literally, it was a big deal. Where, what was the background of some of Jesus' disciples? You remember? Fishermen, yes. Are fishermen highly acquainted with high-level architecture? Not unless you have a really odd fisherman, right? I mean, this is not what you would expect out of a fisherman, okay? All right. Um, so let's, let's go back to the slide before that real quick. We'll go to the another one uh, in here in just a minute. All right, so stones and buildings, right? Ta-da! Verse 2. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? So this, these is a demonstrative pronoun, and it's plural. So this is a, like, he's, he very likely would have been pointing here to call out very specific uh, buildings that he's referring to, which would have been obviously uh, very easily examples of the temple uh, compound. Uh, there will not be left here. All right. So, uh, Jessica, can you read me what your translation of the Bible says for the there will not be left here? Cool. How many times does the word not show up? Just once. You know how many times it shows up in the Greek? Twice. And what happens when we have two knots in a row? It's a, it's like a, like, knot, 
It's really strong emphasized. If I, if I tell you I do not, not want you to leave this room in English, then what do I want you to do? Some of you are like, I don't, it's too early. Like, uh, right. Yeah, so they negate each other. In Greek, you double down on this. It's more emphasis. So there will not not be left here one stone, singular, upon, actually the Greek word is stone, it's stone upon stone, uh, another, that will another not not be thrown down. I can't make this definitive statement, but Jesus does not use a double no in very many sentences. Like this is the only one that I recall in the book of Mark. Like where he's going to say no about a very similar concept twice for emphasis. This is, as, this is about as strong as you can write in Greek as far as em- emphasizing something. So he will not not be thrown down. And this word means uh, to loosen or to demolish. Um, so let's go back to that next slide, Dave. So they come out of the city. They're looking back at the temple. It's the biggest, most grand thing they've ever seen. And Jesus says there's not going to be a stone on stone left standing. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So Ike, question for you. You remember Washington, D.C.? Yes. Were the buildings big? Huge. Was, was President Lincoln massive or what? Yes. I remember thinking, I remember the first time I saw President Lincoln in the memorial and thinking, there's not a book big enough to show me how big this physical stat like it's ginormous it's ginormous right imagine what it would take to take every one of the stones that built that and take them apart it would be a yes it would be a pile like mount everest of marble that was awesome you never know what kids are going to do when you ask them a question. So, uh, Ike, you're brilliant. That's exactly right, buddy. Uh, yeah, so, so think about, I've just been exposed to something that is massive, that's incredible, that's beautiful, and my rabbi is telling me it's going to be rubble. So th- would that spark interest in asking some follow-up questions? Yes, absolutely. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He's turning up the temperature with the scribes and the uh, chief priests and the Pharisees and the Herodians, and he's also doing the same with the disciples. Right. So I don't know if you've noticed that, that he is engaging them more in let's get more and more interested about the future very intentionally. So it's not just, it's not just the, the leaders. So then verse 3. And as he sat down on the Mount of Olives. All right, let's go to the next slide here, Dave. So he sits down on the Mount of Olives. So this is the temple. So this is the aerial view now, looking straight down. Uh, this is not what it looks like today, by the way. Um, so you got the temple structure here. Here's the wall around Jerusalem. Mount of Olives is over here. So he's sitting down on the Mount of Olives, which very likely have been this side. So he can see, they can all see what would very likely be in their immediate Front of mind is the temple structure. Now, pop quiz. What's sitting on the temple mount right now? Say it louder. Dome of the Rock, which is a what? Islamic mosque. That's exactly right. That will not always be there. I feel very, very confident in saying that will not always be there. There will be a day when something else is put there. Uh, So... We should hold things lightly. 
Just hold things very lightly. Even things that look well guarded and fortified and defended and no, 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 careful. So, so here's the setting. They've got the temple in front of them while Jesus is about to talk about what is coming next. All right. So this is our this is where we physically are. All right. Next slide, Dave. So as he sat uh, at the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple. So wonder of wonders. The text actually tells us this, but sometimes it's nice to like. Oh no no. When we say opposite, like it's staring them in the face. Opposite. Opposite the temple, Peter and James and John, which are the three guys you would expect. But wait, there's more. And Andrew. What's Andrew doing here? Andrew's not included in the inner circle of three. What's that about? All right, so, so we've got two pairs of brothers. So who are the pairs of brothers in the Peter, Andrew, James, and John? Peter, James, John, and Andrew, sorry. I'll, I'll give you a hint. This is open book, and it's found in chapter one. Unless you know, James and John and Peter and Andrew. That's right. Now. Does order matter in the Bible? Great answer. Usually it does. Yes, usually it does. When you have a list of the apostles, who is always listed first? Peter is always listed first. Who is always listed last? Iscariot. Yes, that's exactly right. Because there was kind of two of them, and one of them, like, <laughs> like not... Me, it was Iscariot, right? Like, not me, okay? I can't, I feel so bad for the guy. Like, how, you know, I have a dear friend who actually came to church with us 15, 20 years ago, named his daughter Isis. Like, a hot minute right before Isis, like, ooh, you know? It was a really pretty name. I was like, oh, that's gorgeous. Like, that's amazing. I remember the first time I saw a news clip about ISIS. I was like, oh, that's bad. It's unfortunate, right? So Peter, Andrew, James, I can't even say them. Like, you know how hard this is to read, chapter 13, this verse, Peter and James and John and Andrew, to put them in that order. So Peter's first, and his brother comes last. But he's there. So just saying, he's there. They asked him. Now, the asked is in what kind of a tense? Imperfect, which means what? Repeatedly, continually, over and over and over and over and over and over and over. They didn't just, he didn't just stoke a little interest in this. He stoked a lot of interest in this. They asked him repeatedly, privately. All right. Now, I have warned our class, I cannot tell you how many times, about not guessing. And I sort of kind of want to guess here for just a second. So those of you that are teachers, give me some reasons why a student would ask you something privately and not in front of the entire group. They don't want to look stupid, right? What else? Fear. That's exactly right. There's a lot of fear. Like some of you have intense, like this would be the worst thing ever for you to raise your hand and go, I'm going to speak out loud in front of this group right now. Daniel, I love you, man. You will like, yes, bring it. They think it's a dumb question, right? Yeah, very good, very good. What else? Might go off on a rabbit trail. What? A rabbit trail? Yes, it might lose the topic a little bit here. Yeah, lots of reasons of why this would be asked privately. Does the text tell us why this is asked privately? 
Not really. Yeah. But they asked him privately. So these four, now, if you've got a group of 12 guys following you, and four of them go to the leader, is this kind of obvious? I think it's, this, isn't, this is not a, like, ooh, let's go over here and hide. No, no, no. A third of the group goes and asks him this question over and over and over and over and over again. So just, I just want you to get the scene of what's going on. They asked him privately, when will these things be? Now, I want to show you something really beautiful because they tell us what their theology is by the way that they've asked this question. Because they say, when will these things be? This is a future indicative, this things be. This is not a subjunctive. This is not a, when, is, when, when might this happen? No, no, no. We heard you. We understand that you know the future. When is this going to happen? And we are saying in our question, I believe that what you just said is true. A glimpse of understanding. <laughs> this is good. We don't get a lot of these from the disciples as we go through the Gospels. And I, I would say, I hold a mirror up really close to my face. I don't see a lot of this in my own life of like, oh, I think I understand what God's saying right here. Right? So I love this beautiful little glimpse into that they actually believed uh, Mark 13 too. So when will these things be? What will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? All right, so I want to look at one more verb, and then we're going to come back and look at signs. The, the word for to be accomplished is passive, which means something's going to happen that's going to cause all of this to occur. So they understood that there was, a, there was some type of a cause and effect. That was their ingoing approach. Like, oh, something has to happen, and then all this stuff is going to occur. So this is what they're looking for. And they would say, what's the trigger point? What's the first domino that's going to fall? What's the series of things? What's the whatever? Um, actually, they would say the singular, because if you look at the top of page 425, that word sign is singular. It is not plural. They were looking for the one, the one thing. So let's talk about signs for just a second. So let's go back to Mark chapter 8. We'll see when the word sign first shows up in Mark. Ah, my glasses playing tricks on me. I thought I saw 8-1, and I was like, nope, that doesn't have anything to do with signs. There we go. All right, 8-11. 8-11. So the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. So first, right out of the bat, do we have a good association with the word sign or a not-so-good association with the word sign? Not so good. And verse 12, and he sighed deeply in his spirit and said... Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Now, this is an interesting verse if you compare it to what Jesus says in chapter 13. Because you could almost think that there is a contradiction. <laughs> Don't go down that path. <laughs> come on, come on. Really? They didn't like it? <laughs> yeah. Challenge their power structure and their monetary system and their source of income and, and their popularity, right? And his disciples are coming to him, I would say, earnestly, 
Yes. What did you just say? Like, what's going on with that? Yes. Yep. Is different. Yes. Now, so let's, let's uh, I'm going to tease that out just a little bit. Did Jesus ever tell a parable with the intended purpose of some in the audience understanding and some in the audience not understanding? Yes, only every time. That's exactly right. Yeah, he, he regularly, on purpose, said things that some people would not understand. And if your first thought was, yeah, but I'm special, I'm going to always, no, 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 <laughs> Not the way this works, guys. Not the way this works. Yeah, the audience matters as we look at how Jesus engages and responds in what he says. Now, look at uh, Mark 13, 22. Mark 13, 22. Next time after this one in Mark 13, three, 4. Mark 13, 22. False Christs and false prophets will arise, that's a feature indicative if you're keeping track at home, and perform signs and wonders. So are signs always associated with righteous living and activity? No, not at all. Okay, it's like, all right, let's, let's hang on. Let's go to the end of the book, Mark 16. Verse 17 and these signs will accompany those who believe. Verse 20, and they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So are sometimes signs associated with people who do believe and are doing righteous things? Yes, so can we trust what we see with 100% accuracy? No, we can't. And <laughs> I would say that it would that there was a, a, a web browser that every time we opened it up, like, you can't trust what you're about to see with 100%, like, for everything we're about to see. Whether it be that really weird magician who makes people levitate on the street that freaks me out every time I watch him. He's just kind of creepy, you know? I don't, I don't understand it. I think something wonky's going on, but... And I just have to remember, like, ah, some, some weird stuff in the universe, right? I'm okay with that. I know who's in charge. I know the organizational structure. That's good. Uh, so this sign, this is what they're looking for. They're looking for a single sign. What's the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? And I think that's a grand spot to stop for today. Four verses. That'll work. Now, are you satisfied? Good. <laughs> this, uh, Brandenburg calls this my evil little grin, so <laughs> I don't think it's little. I think it's, <laughs> yes, this is good. I'm excited. All right, so Lord willing, we'll pick up with verse 5 next week. I'm going to make a note here, lest I forget. There we go. And uh, you should, at your table, have a weekly update. So if you could get, and this is important today because my beautiful bride is not here to write all of your wonderful names down, if everybody could make sure that they fill this out and put your name at the bottom, uh, that would be great. This is how we take attendance. It's actually our, our backup way on how we take attendance, but it's uh, how we're going to be taking attendance today. Uh, if you'll read through the prayer requests, uh, what I would encourage you to do is each table pick one section and pray for that section. I think it's a really healthy way to remember others and 
Uh, pray for what's going on. If you have any prayer requests, either for this week or something you'd like us to put on the list ongoing, we'd love to engage with you there. And uh, with that, I will let you guys uh, talk as a table, pray. When you have finished praying, you are dismissed to go and to worship this one who can use the future indicative with 100% accuracy, who knows what the signs will be and is worthy of worship as such. So thanks for coming to Sunday School today, I guess. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.